I had intended to end the journey that we have been having for some time, off and on, more on than off through the Gospel of John this morning. We have been in this chapter, the 21st, the last chapter of the Gospel of John, already for two messages. This morning we are going to be there again, but I've decided to stay there at least another week. That means the four points that I had, I have reduced to one. Hallelujah. It also suggests the possibility that we might stay in this chapter permanently and never leave, which is entirely possible. When we come to Scripture with our different lives and different questions, it continues to speak. So that would be an interesting exercise, one which I don't imagine the Spirit will lead me in, but we will be there at least for another message. Uh, This morning... I want to linger just long enough to allude to the very beginning of the chapter, though we will allude some to events which transpire later. Here now the opening verses of the 21st chapter of the Gospel of John. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. First, one comment by way of review. Every year, and in theory, every Sunday and every day, we are invited to ponder the miracle and mystery of the resurrection. And every year, every time we do that, we have the privilege of seeing something new and different and altogether marvelous in it. This year, I was granted to see yet another evidence for the truth of the resurrection that I had never seen before just this way. This most amazing of gospel claims that Jesus Christ defeated death and came back from the grave. Rather than being easily dismissible, as most of our peers believe, as the pre-scientific delusional hallucinations of a group of sentimental, impressionable disciples, has always had strong historical evidences. The empty tomb, the appearances to the disciples, the evidence of the history of the early church itself, the martyrdom of the apostles, the character of the writers of the Gospels, the witnesses of Christian testimonies throughout the centuries, including many of you in this room. But this year I have seen another that is to be added. It is the details of the record. I've made this point before, so this is summary, but I'm returning to it again. If we ask ourselves, why are these stories here? Why are the records that are in this chapter recorded? 
Why were these things written down? Why are they in the gospel? Of course, one answer that we're going to go on in mind today is because it teaches us something. It is here for our edification and benefit, but before we go there, there is another reason. They are here because they happened. And one evidence of that, which I'd never seen this clearly before, at least in this chapter, is the details that are given. Verse 7, Peter throws on his garment, we might say jacket, before he dives into the water. We are told that they are exactly a hundred yards offshore. We are told that there are 153 fish that are caught up in the net. Why all these details? Historical records at that day, and frankly to this day, are written, uh, rather legendary accounts, aren't written just that way. Charles Tesk was my English professor, one of them at college. And when he assigned (coughs) Homer to us, I remember him saying, I'm assigning you the Iliad and the Odyssey now so that you will be able to read them and appreciate them when you are older. Well, Mr. Tesk, I went back and read in the Iliad and the Odyssey for the first time again this week. And what I discovered there is that the Iliad and the Odyssey don't say Achilles crossed his legs and scratched his ear and ate three fish unless they meant something. They are always details and legendary accounts are given because they are part of the literary pattern of what is going on. These particular details, some of them strange, we don't put on clothing, usually, before we dive into the water, can only reasonably be accounted for because the beloved disciple remembered them. When something precious, world-changing and transforming happens, we remember all the details that surround them. The event itself, its clarity, its reality is precious to us. And in this 21st chapter, John shares them with us. Review. Let's look at what some of this, uh, these verses might teach us. Because this whole chapter, as a summary as it is, as calling together so many themes and tying them together, because this chapter is so rich and full of details and themes, some of the uh, simple observations at the outset could easily be overlooked. Look at that second verse. It's a simple declarative sentence. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, two other disciples, were together. It's a complete sentence. It comes to a full stop. It says they were together, period. It doesn't run on to say they were together and then, or they were together and so, or they were together and. All the sentence says, all it wants to convey is that they were together. The entirety of the information that John wants to convey in that sentence is that they were together. Jesus, their leader, had been executed and killed. 
and they knew it was dangerous for them to be together, but something held them. They knew they had a living center. They knew they had a risen Savior. The first thing we see here is that the gospel calls the church together. The gospel, when it is understood, when it fully takes hold of a life, creates community. Now, there is a natural community that comes and is built together from shared tasks. The community of the church should be that, but it should be more than that. I remember early in my first uh, pastorate after my doctorate, University Baptist in Austin, Texas. We had a wonderful church family, a husband wife, he was a psychologist, a, can I say this, a model daughter and son, and they got very involved in the swim team. At the end of the season, the father came up to me and said, Pastor, we've had such a marvelous experience with other families and with the children and this team together. We, that's where the church ought to be. And, you know, we don't have enough of that. We need to pull together like a team. I would suggest that's a natural formation of a community. And that's a blessed thing. It's created of God. The church should be that. It should also be more than that. We are that when we tackle great teams. We have that going for us. When we're on a mission trip together, when we're in Sunday school teaching, when we are in growth group, when we are serving food, when we're taking care of our children, when we're volunteering when we're singing in the choir, all the great things that God calls us to do and accomplish together in a natural as well as a supernatural sense build communities. We should bless that. One of the ways community is built is by working together at God's great missions, at God's great purposes for us. One of the members of this church, Chris Chun, has published, actually he's co-published a book using... In its title, the great quote from the missionary William Carey, attempt great things for God and expect great things from him. That only happens when we listen to his word and when we do put our lives at full stretch to accomplish great things for him, expecting his great provision. Whether we go forward with the proposal that you, many of you, have just voted on this morning, or some portion of it, or if we determine that God is not calling us to this, or not now, whatever we hear, my prayer has been, and is, that God will use every step of that decision-making process to build us together. We learned last week that we are living stones. I thought that was an odd image. That's why I've kept returning to it. It surely means that he's fashioning us and chipping on us, that we might, like stones in a building too, fit together, belong together, rub up against one another in a way which is constructive and helpful. One of the many virtues of the church he has called many of us together to be part of at Tiburon Baptist is that we are large enough to tackle significant projects together. And we are also small enough to know one another deeply and personally. What uh, you have voted on, what 
The 11 o'clock hour we'll be voting on is a big project, but the important thing at this juncture is that the decision about this project bring us together, that it be unifying, a God-honoring, Christ-building decision. It's more important than the decision we make. Unity can be forced, but community can't. In the comic strip Peanuts, Lucy was pretty much of an expert of knowing how to force unity without caring much about community. In one strip, she sees Linus watching TV. Lucy comes into the room and unceremoniously demands that Linus change the channels. I guess that's singular, channel. Linus asks, um, what makes you think you can just walk right in here and take over? And Lucy says, these five fingers. She says, individually, they're nothing. But when I curl them together into a single unit, they form a weapon that is terrible to behold. Linus reflects on this for a moment and in the next frame, he says, which channel do you want? <laughs> and then he turns away and he mutters to himself. He looks at his own five fingers. And in the last frame, he says, why can't you guys get organized like that? <laughs> there could be unity without community, but it is community that we are being called to build. So community in God's church is to be prized, is to be valued, is to be treasured, is to be protected. It must be built. And like other things that are important, it must be worked on. It requires a decision. This year, our deacons are having some increasingly heartfelt meetings. At our deacon meeting yesterday, one of our deacons made this observation. I share it with her. Well, that sort of identifies at least 50%. <coughs> I share it with her permission. She said there simply is no substitute for time together in building trust. And I might add in building community. Now, when I meditate on this command, I, of course, feel convicted. I live in the same world all of you do, and there are joyous, almost all of the demands on my life are joyous, but they are numerous and they are often conflicting. If you've been in this church for a while and you have some friends who mean a lot to you and you're always saying, let's get together, we'll get together, sometime we'll have to get together, and you never do, Maybe there's something you and I need to learn from this passage. They were together. Notice, I think, I don't think I'm reading this into the text, they had to work at it. I love the next sentence. Peter says, I'm going out to fish. And they say, we'll go with you. They don't say, what a coincidence. We wanted to fish too. They didn't say, what a coincidence. I've just consulted my pocket planner, and I have the same time marked out to go fishing. 
I don't think all of them decided they wanted to go fish all at the same time, and so what happened was just a fortuitous accident. I think they all wanted to be together. If you're going to build community with other Christians, you're going to have to do some things you wouldn't choose otherwise. We're going to have to pay a price. We're going to have to work at being together. From time to time, we schedule things at the church just for that. Dinners for seven-ish, whose only agenda is to be together. We don't have one on the calendar right now. We need to schedule that. This August, we will have an annual church picnic whose only agenda is to be together. Oh, yes, and also to eat. I forgot that. We scheduled University of Life this spring at 5 o'clock to be together at that learning time, but also so that we'd have 6 o'clock so that we could more easily just hang or go out to dinner together. This also happens when we are doing the work of the Lord together on committees and choirs and mission trips and Sunday school classes and home groups. That happens then too, but these are important times and they are holy times. Another thing about this sentence that I think can be overlooked is the list. It's almost like John goes back over the list to show us the different people Jesus has already met that he calls together. What is it that draws them together? I think it is a uniformity and a diversity of experience in Christ. When you've seen the risen Christ and you're one of the people who have seen the risen Christ, there's a uniformity about that experience. For example, we can even see it here. I'm struck by this fact. All of the disciples here didn't recognize Jesus at first. We can see that in almost every one of the resurrection appearances. There is either something about Jesus' physical appearance that has changed enough, or there is something about people's preoccupation and grief that is similar enough that no one recognizes him right away. There's a uniformity about their experience with Christ. Mary and Thomas and John and people, all these people have seen the Lord and in a similar way. When you are a Christian and you meet somebody else who has seen the Lord, you want to be with them. Recently, as you know, I had the privilege of being in Nigeria. I preached at a church of 2,000 People It had the same name as my first church after my doctorate, University Baptist. It was a great privilege. It is a great honor to travel to different cultures and different places and to experience um, the deeper than all those differences, more important and all the strange customs and practices, interesting though they are, is the unity and community that we have with brothers and sisters in Christ when we meet them. I felt more community with my brothers and sisters in Christ in Nigeria than I believe I have with my neighbors in Marin who do not know Christ yet. And saying that, 
Let me be clear. Of course, I am not saying that I'm not to have a special care for and responsibility towards and love about and ministry towards neighbors here. But it is simply to recognize that I have a closer community with those who know Christ, even though there are great cultural differences that I have, even with some members of my own biological family who do not know Christ. One of the great blessings of ministry here at Tiburon Baptist Church is that which has afforded many of us to go in four or five or six times a year to San Quentin. It is available to all of you. There is a clearance you have to work on. See me or Beth Singleton or Jeannie Bader. It takes a few weeks, but it's minor, and there is a blessing at the end of it. We are blessed by the community that has been forged over the years of ministry with those uh, people in San Quentin. So there is a uniformity which binds us together. Very quickly, aren't you glad we're not seeing, having four points here? There is also, I believe, a diversity which holds us together. Look at the differences of experiences together. Mary is told not to touch Christ. Thomas is told to touch Christ. <laughs> there is an individual and specific way that Christ deals with each person individually. Mary is a part of a heartfelt believer. You might say she's an existentialist. Uh, the beloved disciple is an analyst. Jesus comes before him with evidences. Uh, Thomas is a skeptic. He's a doubter. So Jesus comes before him with empirical evidence. In each particular case, Jesus deals with people differently. There are things about Jesus Christ that I can see, that I come to know, when I see the experience that Mary has with him that I don't. We can come to know our sister Mary even by reading. If you want to know Christ more deeply, you are called not to know him individually, but corporately. I know Christ as I know how he works through Susie and John and Bryce and Beth. And together, our experience and knowledge of the risen Christ is deeper and enriched. In the book called The Four Loves, one of my favorite books of C.S. Lewis, he says, In each of my friends, there is something that only some other friend can fully bring out. By myself, I am not large enough to call the whole person into activity. Now that... Charles is dead. I shall never again see Ronald's reaction to his joke. Far from having more of Ronald, now that Charles is away, I have less of Ronald. In this, friendship exhibits a glorious nearness by resemblance to heaven itself, where the very multitude of the blessed increases the fruition which each has of God for every soul, seeing him, in his or her own way, doubtless communicates that unique vision to all the rest. In heaven, 
Lewis says to reiterate it. Each soul has a unique vision of God and it's communicated together so we are enlarged and enhanced by it. Lewis continues. That is why the seraphim in Isaiah's heavenly vision are crying holy, holy, holy to one another. The more we thus share the heavenly bread between us, the more we all shall have. So we are called to build the church of Christ together. Christ took Moses, a stammerer, and made of him a great prophet. He took Thomas, a doubter, and made of him a great confessor. He took of Mary, a warm-hearted lover, and made of her a great witness of the resurrection. He took Peter, absolutely impulsive, and turned him into a rock. And then he called together into a community this band of people that into a community that transformed the ancient world. He has called this small congregation in this privileged place to be of all things a part of what he was doing in Somalia and the Horn of Africa, one of the poorest and most desperate places on the globe. And now he may be, he seems to be, many of us, and we will be asking you to pray about, he may be working in the midst of those he has brought into our midst, another desperate, disparate place that, humanly speaking, seems to be close to the gospel, North Korea, but where God is very much present and alive. He's doing all that with those people. Who knows what he purposes to do with you? And who knows what he purposes to do with us? Living and holy God, we are thankful for the amazing challenge and call and privilege you give us by calling us to you and calling us together. We pray that we might be discerning and faithful as your church, your body and bride here at this place. May the world looking at us see our love of you, our love of one another, and astonishing things that we attempt and accomplish because it is you who have called and it is you who are in it. it this is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.